All right, Second Chronicles 6 con continues our look at Solomon's prayer. We stopped last week with verse 27, and you'll notice in verse 22 and 23, that's one paragraph. 24 and 25 is another paragraph, 26, 27. They're very parallel in Solomon's prayer of dedication that he's anticipating the future in his prayer. It's kind of like us praying for our children when they're born, that we're anticipating when they grow up uh, and as they grow up. And now if you have grandchildren, you're praying for them. And you may pray for their spouses if they're not married as well and their children. And so you pray for the future. And that's what Solomon's doing here. He's praying for hundreds of years in the future. Uh, but this is how kingdoms work. And this is how the temple, as he builds a permanent structure, he's expecting this structure to last hundreds of years. And it does from 966 uh, to 586, probably. Um, it lasts almost 400 years. And so uh, most of our buildings we don't build till last 400 years. Uh, castles <laughs> may come to mind and other other uh, other structures have lasted that long, uh, forts, but not not most of our buildings. We aren't thinking. Oh, I hope this is here four hundred years from now. Um, but Solomon does build a temple that is a permanent structure, and we noticed last time that it was the channel. It was the connection of heaven and earth. And as Solomon's praying to dedicate this temple, he says in those first three sections that I want you, God, to hear from heaven, and the the um, people are going to pray in this house or toward this place. You'll see that continue in, in the next uh, couple paragraphs as well. We're just going to try to cover one paragraph, 28 to 31, today. And he says in 28, if there is famine in the land, and if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, um, what, and then we'll stop there. So if you remember the 10 plagues on Egypt, a lot of those plagues would fall into these categories, okay? So there were flies and frogs and uh, different ways of um, sickness on cattle and uh, hail um, there were different ways to destroy uh, people or uh, cows or crops, um, and that that's what that's what Solomon's getting at here. The famine, obviously, we're studying uh, Joseph, his life, and the famine that they experienced in Canaan and Egypt at the time of Joseph, and how Joseph was used by God to spare a lot of people's lives. Um, but there are other things besides famine mentioned here. Pestilence um, is a way, uh, a, a plague. Um, light or mildew or locusts is going to destroy crops. And then enemies clearly are going to destroy people by besieging them. Uh, this isn't something that's happening now, and it's not going to happen for a, a little while. Um, Solomon knows that. He's got peace around him. But in the future, uh, uh, 
part of warfare was to come and besiege a city if it was very strong and they couldn't attack it, they couldn't get in the walls, they would just surround it, cut off supplies and starve the people out inside and just wait for them to surrender. Now that will be besieging here. Okay, so Solomon's anticipating this is going to happen. And we know the pattern now of his, his prayer uh, of anticipation of the future. So when the people of Israel are going to experience these things in verse 28, what is their expected response? Verse 29, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people. So even one person, uh, any man, singular, and then all your people uh, of Israel each knowing his own affliction. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 2. All right, everybody else can find Second Chronicles and go to chapter 6. Second Chronicles 6 and we're in verse 29. So while all of these different types of plagues are coming and some of them would be localized because if he's talking about um, any man... Uh, or a people, because cities also would be in Israel localized, because you couldn't besiege a whole nation, you'd have to besiege cities. So whenever uh, your city was besieged, what should you do uh, in the future based on Solomon's prayer? Well, if you just as one person, by praying, you can connect to heaven. And or if a whole uh, city or a whole tribe or a whole section of Israel if all those people get together and they pray um, as people of Israel, what do they have to do in verse 29? They have to know, each of them knowing his own affliction. Now, as you're being afflicted, you have to know what's causing this affliction. God's afflicting our city because we are, you can expect, we're sinning. Okay? And sometimes it's obvious when everybody's sinning. Other times... It's not obvious, and we'll see that, how God gets at this in Solomon's prayer. Each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow by stretching out his hands toward this house. Now, if you're besieged, you can't leave your city, but you're going to pray to God, and you're going to focus your prayer, and actually your body, and the people that are praying with you, we're all going to face, if we're north of Jerusalem, we're going to face south. South of Jerusalem, we're going to face north. We're going to face this house. Okay, Solomon's praying that this is the temple, is our connection to God, okay, on earth. And so the Israelites know that. Solomon's praying so that they know that. So they are, in verse 29, 28 and 29, they're praying to God. They have to know certain things, that their affliction, no matter what the affliction is, and there's all types of affliction in verse 28, they have to know their affliction and their sorrow is a result of God's discipline for their life, and for their heart disobedience. So every time in Israel, whenever they are afflicted, whether uh, by nature or by, uh, by enemies, that they have to put this together. They have to know that we are in sorrow and affliction because our God is disciplining us. They have to put that together. That requires humility. That requires um, knowledge of, of this uh, this prayer. And how are they going to know? Uh, what are they going to do because they know this? They're going to stretch out their hands in prayer and plead with God toward 
toward uh, this house. You see that at the end of verse 29. Verse 30, how do we know it's from the heart? We'll see that later. Uh, but verse 30 says, Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render or give to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. All right? So sometimes we as people of God sin with God just in our hearts. And it's still a sin of God, even if it's just in our hearts. So let me show you an example in Ezekiel chapter 14. <clears throat> Ezekiel is a hard-hitting book, kind of like Jeremiah is, when there's very little positive and a lot negative in Israel's history. When Ezekiel writes, and the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel in Ezekiel 14 are not innocent. They're guilty before God. But Ezekiel 14, verse 1, says, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. This is the elders of Israel coming to sit before Ezekiel. And the word of God comes to Ezekiel as the elders, the leaders of Israel, are in his presence. Kind of like what we're doing now, but it would be uh, the leaders of Israel here. And God's word comes to Ezekiel for these men. Verse 3, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face. And yet he comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. So it's clear when, for instance, the time of Gideon, when God comes and wants to use Gideon, he has to tell what was first things to do is to tear down the altar of Baal that his father erected, probably on their property. Okay, so if we had an we had an altar in the back of our church property, and we encourage everyone to come worship Baal with us. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Everybody knows we're worshiping Baal because we have an altar erected on our property. However, that's obvious. What's not obvious is all of us are worshiping Baal privately in our homes. Like we go into our houses, we go into a secret place in our rooms or in our in our homes, and we pray to Baal to provide rain. Um, and so when there's all different types of famine or pestilence or blight or mildew or caterpillar enemies, it exposes who you're really trusting in. If we're trusting in an idol, and even if it's in the idol of your heart, if you put the idol into your heart and you say, I'm trusting in something other than God to deliver me from God's discipline, we're, we're fooling ourselves, okay? So Israel is told, and Ezekiel's written hundreds of years after Solomon's prayer, but the elders of Israel struggle with idols in their hearts, and that was still uh, not pleasing to God. So you'll notice here in verse 30 how um, sometimes public discipline, obvious discipline from God, uh, reveals that people's hearts aren't right with him. So Solomon anticipates this and says, okay, so hear from heaven your dwelling place, forgive and give to each one, render to each uh, whose heart you know. So do people know their hearts? 
Well, they have to know their affliction is caused by them sinning, even if their heart is, if they have an idol in their heart. And then God's going to reveal uh, all of the secrets of their hearts, according to all of his ways for you, you only, you know the hearts of the children of mankind. So God, we're expecting in this prayer that God is going to hear from heaven and forgive sin and give consequences according to what he sees in each heart and each life's action. So what do we do with that today? You can come to church and you can worship God externally and go home and worship other gods in your heart. You can cry out to other gods when you are in trouble and you're disciplined by God for that. You can keep crying out to other gods to have them save you. Or you can turn from those gods and uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding. Okay, as Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 tell us. So, but God knows the hearts of the children of mankind. And in crying out to him at the temple, there's an expectation of God. You're going to, we're opening ourselves up to you for you to examine us. Like Psalm 139 says, God search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And part of that searching and knowing is all the way down to our hearts to see if we, in our hearts, are even gone astray after other gods. So when the Israelites ask God as they are have a famine or all these different types of plagues or people surrounding them, or even a sickness, they have to know that it's from, that God is afflicting them. They have to cry out to God toward the temple and then expect God to see their hearts if they really are repentant from their hearts, because God knows the hearts of mankind, verse 30. And then as God knows the hearts, he's going to expect a response. We would call this fruit of repentance. So what is the fruit of repentance that God's looking for in verse 31? That they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land and that you give that that you gave to our fathers all right so fearing god and walking in his ways solomon writes proverbs 1 and proverbs 9 proverbs 1 7 if you want to look at that with me we talk about fearing god there proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the opposite of fearing God in Proverbs 1, uh, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what do fools do? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where does despising wisdom and instruction, where is that located in our body? We despise things from our heart. Our heart tells us to hate things. Our heart says... Why do you have to listen to your parents? And you start despising your parents. Well, you're not fearing God because you're despising the wisdom that can come uh, and instruction you can get from them. You may get pulled over because you're speeding. And if you don't despise your sin and you despise the police officer, you're going to end up being, you're going to look foolish. Even if not publicly, you look foolish to God because God has put law enforcement in our lives to teach us to fear the Lord. 
And when we fear the Lord, we start making wise choices. So that's Proverbs 1, 7. And then Proverbs 9, 10, a little bit different um, second phrase in Proverbs 9, 10. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So parallel to wisdom is insight. Parallel to fearing God in Proverbs 9.10 is the knowledge of the Holy One. Anyone who knows God fears God. Why don't we fear God? Because we're not thinking about him. Okay. Why didn't Pharaoh fear God before the plagues came? Because he did said, I don't know who your God is. And I don't, I don't, I'm not recognizing him as a God. After those 10 plagues on on him and his army, he still didn't quite fear God because he goes in after the Israelites into the Red Sea and then he loses his whole army. Like, I think after that, he knew God at least. Now, whether or not he would choose to fear him is a matter of pride or humility. So we have to, as God's people, we have to know God. We have to know his ways. We have to worship him from our hearts. And when we don't, and he disciplines us, and he has all different ways of disciplining people in the Bible, from Samson uh, to David to everyone who's disobeying him. Look at God's ways of what he uses to discipline. And he, we have a sample list in, in 2 Chronicles 6, but that's not an exhaustive list. How does he discipline Jonah? With a whale, okay? <laughs> yeah. God's resources are, are, are everything on the earth, Okay. Look at Revelation, what he uses to discipline the earth in the time of tribulation. He uses the sun, okay, and and other things. Okay? He can turn all of the oceans to blood if he wants to, and he does, okay? So what, what's he do that for? So that man would fear him and turn away from evil and listen and learn God's ways, even from our hearts, okay? And so God's people, we in the New Testament, have to know God, that he operates this way. He wants us to respond to his discipline by repentance and crying out to him and stop worshiping something other than God from our hearts. And from our hearts, verse 31, we would fear God. We would want to fear God. And when we want to fear God, now we're on a path that leads to wisdom, and this path is going to help us to walk in God's ways. How long are we going to walk in God's ways if we keep fearing him? Verse 31 says, all the days that they live in the land. We never reach an age as, as believers where we can say, okay, I have obeyed God for all these years. Now I want to live my life for myself. Mm -hmm. Whoa, whoa, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. I've challenged people. <laughs> And said, okay, you have lived, a, a, appears to be a faithful to God life up to this point, And there's something God wants you to do that you're not willing to do. And if you keep doing this, you're going to get discipline from God. And his ways of disciplining are, are, are uh, infinite because he's got all of, he owns all the world. He can use all the world mm -hmm. and he can focus all of that attention of the world on one person, even whose heart is not pure toward God and needs to be disciplined to be brought back to him so that that person would fear God from their heart and again, walk in his ways.
All right. So since God sees our heart, our secret life, how should we live before him each day? We don't just live for God when people see us. We're really motivated, though, to live for God whenever we come to church. But God is more concerned about your heart when you go home, that you and I fear God and walk in his ways in private. That when no one is around and no one's going to find out what we do, what we say, what we watch, how we talk, what we text, no matter what it is, God wants us to fear him in private and walk in his ways. So will we humble ourselves when we secretly sin and God's, God disciplines us? We have to agree with God that God has afflicted us in a certain way because we have sinned against him from our heart. When Israel would walk away from God, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet and said, come back to God, come back to God. Sometimes they killed the prophets. Sometimes they did turn from their sin. Um, and we can learn how to respond. Cry out to God for forgiveness. We have to stop blaming God for his discipline, which according to Hebrews 12, 15 can lead to bitterness and bitterness. Many other people are defiled in that discipline passage. And then we end up dis disobeying him more and more. Instead, God wants us to fear him and learn to walk in his ways again.